just an event. And, you know, now it's over. It was meant to actually be a beginning to really call us to understand the things that God wants to be part of our lives all the time. The normal life. And so looking at these priorities that God has given us, that he wants us to be about, these priorities he wants us to engage in regularly, so that together, together we can uh, reach the potential that God has for us. So today we're going to be looking at the priority of outreach. So far we've, we've talked about the priorities of authentic community, uh, the priority of genuine worship, the priority of spiritual growth, and the priority of uh, faithful stewardship. Today we're going to be looking at the priority of outreach, reaching out to those who are still outside the family and helping them become part of the family, helping them get into the family. And so let's look at our, our passage that we've been using for the series Acts chapter 2, where we see the very first church, see them in action, see them engaging in these priorities. So we'll pick it up at verse 42 in Acts chapter 2. There's a note sheet in your folder. I encourage you to take that out, jot down some notes. And speaking of this first church and the people there, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Okay, look at that last part. The Lord added to their number. The Lord did that. Everyone who is in the family, everyone who is in the church of Jesus Christ is there because Jesus put them there. The Lord adds to the church. This is the fulfillment of Jesus doing what he said that he would do, that he came to seek and to save the lost. And on our own, we're all lost. We're all lost. Uh, Because we've all sinned, Scripture tells us. We've all turned to our own way. We didn't get lost on accident. We chose to go our own way. And as a result, we're all lost from God on our own. But Jesus is the one who rescues us from our lostness. He finds us. And He offers us forgiveness and eternal life. And when we put our trust in Him, He puts us into the church. He adds us to the church. But how does that happen, practically speaking? I mean, if... If, if you're a believer in Jesus today, how did that happen? How did you go from being outside the family to coming inside the family? You know, some of you are here, 
You may have become believers in Jesus. You may have become part of the church. The Lord added you when you were very young. For others of you, maybe happened much later in life. There are some of you who today, maybe you're still not there yet. You're still on the outside looking in and uh, checking it out. And if that's you, I'm really glad you're here. But if you're in, how did that happen? How does that happen? Well, if we are going to be engaged in this priority of outreach, we've got to know. We've got to know how that happens. And see, there's a big mistake that we've got to avoid here. And this applies to other things besides outreach, but it it affects that too. Here's the mistake. The mistake is thinking that if God does something, we do nothing. If God does something, we don't do anything. I talked about that a bit last week when we were talking about uh, God's providing for our material needs. Jesus said that if we seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, that God will meet our material needs for food and clothing and all that. But that doesn't mean we don't do anything. Because the main way that God meets our needs is by giving us the ability to work and to go out there and earn a living. That's the way God meets our needs most of the time. He meets the needs. He meets it ultimately. But he usually meets it through us doing something, through some means. And yeah, it's true. Sometimes God works very directly, very miraculously. Okay? I mean... It's possible that God may just cause the food to appear on your doorstep. But most of the time, that's not how he works. And you think about the story in the Old Testament of the Israelites and, and God provided this manna that, that just miraculously appeared. They still had to go pick it up. And they still had to make food out of it. So most of the time, when God does something, there's something we do. And this is true of salvation as well. Okay, the Bible is very clear, and we need to all be very clear on this, that salvation is a work of God. It is something God does for us entirely by grace. And that means gift. He saves us. He makes us right with himself. He forgives us based on what Jesus did, not based on what we can do. We've got to be very clear about this. It's 100% based on what Jesus did. Jesus died for us. We couldn't have done that. Nobody else could have done it. Jesus rose from the dead. And Jesus is the one who forgives us. That's grace. Okay, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So being saved, being right with God, that is something God does for us as a gift. And yet, this gift is experienced by us exercising faith. And you see it right there in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It comes through us exercising faith. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave grace. He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. So we have to believe. 
We have to put our trust in Jesus. It's something we do. We're not just passive bystanders. So how do these things fit together? How does it fit together? It, how can salvation be something that God does for us, and yet there still be something we need to do, and for it to be a work of God? Okay, here's the answer. You ready for this? Grace is not opposed. It's not the opposite of effort. Grace is the opposite of earning. Grace is not the opposite of effort. Grace is the opposite of earning. Just about everything we experience as grace, as a gift, as an undeserved gift from God, involves some kind of effort on our part. Okay, Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Who does the saving? The Lord does the saving. But what do we do? Well, we've got to call on the name of the Lord. That's doing something. That's not just thinking about it. It's calling on the name of the Lord. In fact, just about everything that we are to do as a church involves some kind of effort. I mean, prayer. Praying requires effort. Pursuing community with one another. Building relationships. We have to do something. We've got to pursue that. We've got, that takes effort. Um, learning God's Word. You know, I'd love it if all I had to do was put my Bible under my pillow and sleep on it, and it just... That's not how it works. You've got to put out some effort. Okay, but our doing is never earning. It's never earning. There is nothing that we do that puts God in our debt. That God's not the employer, and we're doing, and we work, and we earn a wage, and he has to pay us that wage. That is not how it works. His gifts are all undeserved. And the reason they're undeserved, well, for one thing, we're the creature, he's the creator, and everything we have comes from him in the first place, life and breath and everything else. But beyond that, we've all sinned. And if we got what we deserved, we'd get death. We'd get condemnation. We'd get judgment. So this is not about us deserving the good things that God does for us. We don't achieve salvation. We simply receive it as a gift. And if you're here today and you haven't yet taken that step of saying to Jesus, I want to receive the gift that you fully paid for with your death and resurrection, well, that's the part you do. You're not earning it, but you do it. And you receive the gift. Because here's the thing. Even our receiving, even our act of receiving is ultimately made possible by the grace of God. Look at Romans eleven thirty six. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. To him be the credit. He gets the credit. All right, so that was that rabbit trail. Now we're going to come back 
and answer the question then that I asked about outreach. When it says the Lord adds to the church, the Lord does that. The Lord adds to the church those who are being saved. What do we do? What do we do? Well, let's back up. Let's, let's go back to our passage in Acts chapter 2, and let's back up and let's see what the church did. We see what the Lord did. He added to the church. But what did the church do? Okay, now if we go back to Acts chapter 1, we find that this church began with a group of 120 people, 120 believers in Jesus, and it says in verse 14 of Acts chapter 1, that they all joined together constantly in prayer. So they got together regularly and they were praying. Then, in the first part of chapter 2, Jesus fulfills the promise that he made to his followers that he would empower them with his Holy Spirit. And he does that. And this is technically the beginning of the church as, as God pours out his Spirit on these people. And, and in that moment... The Spirit enabled them supernaturally to praise God, to declare His praise in languages they had never learned. And the people who weren't part of the church wanted to know, they heard this, they wanted to know what was going on. So verse 7, utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? And then it goes on and lists all these different languages. And says, we hear them, look, declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. So they were proclaiming God's praise. They were telling others what great things God had done through the death and resurrection of Christ. Then Peter stands up, the apostle Peter stands up, and he gives a message. He explains the gospel, the good news about Jesus. He wraps it up in verse 38 by saying, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then the result, verse 41, was that those who accepted the message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. From 120 to 3,000, one day. All right, then we come to the passage we've already read. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. And what does that tell us? Well, it tells us the church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Uh, they were sharing their possessions with one another to help out those who were in need. They were gathering in the temple courts. They were meeting in homes. They were sharing uh, meals with one another. It says they were praising God, and they had favor with the people. And it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Okay, so now take all that and summarize. What did they do? Well, I'll say it like this. Let's make it simple. They walked the walk and they talked the talk. They walked the walk, they talked the talk. They walked the walk. They lived out the gospel. They lived it out. 
they lived out what it means to have a genuine faith relationship with God in Christ. They lived it out every day. They devoted themselves to the Lord's priorities, you know, to authentic community, to heartfelt prayer and worship, to spiritual growth, to generous giving. And now we'll add, they obviously welcomed new people into the family. It's obvious they did that. Because it doesn't say, the Lord tried to add to their number, and the church said no. (laughs) They didn't do that. They welcomed. What were they doing? They were walking the walk. They were living out an authentic relationship with the Lord every day. And then they also talked the talk. They spoke up. They declared the greatness of God in words that other people could understand. They talked about him. They declared his goodness. And then they shared the gospel. They shared the message of salvation, which Jesus told we are to take to all the nations. So they walked the walk. They talked the talk. That's exactly what we need to do. That's what we need to do as a church as believers in Jesus. We need to walk the walk and we need to talk the talk all the time trusting the Lord to do His work of adding to the church. What does that look like? I mean, what does that mean? Walk the walk. What exactly are we doing? Talking the talk. Well, I want to look at another verse with you. I want you to uh, look at First Peter, chapter three, verse fifteen. So I think we see the answer here. First Peter three fifteen. Now this is the same apostle Peter who was there on the first day when the church began. He was there. In fact, he was the one who actually stood up and proclaimed the gospel, told the good news, and it tells us three thousand people responded to his presentation of the gospel, and uh, were added to the church. So here's a guy, he knows all about outreach. He knows about outreach, he knows about inviting people to put their trust in Christ and become part of the church. Okay, here's what he says, 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord... Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. How do you walk the walk? How do you talk the talk? Let's start with walking the walk. You walk the walk this way. You treat Jesus as the most important person in your whole life. Treat Jesus as the most important person in your whole life. Relate to him as the most important person in your whole life. It says, set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. This does not mean you make Jesus Lord, because he's already Lord. 
He's Lord all the time. But we don't always relate to him as Lord. We don't always treat him as Lord, do we? We don't always relate to him as the one, I mean, what does it mean to be Lord? It means he's the one who gets to call the shots in our lives, all of our lives. It means he's in charge of all of our lives. I mean, take a look at this question Jesus asked in Luke 6.46. It's one of those questions that the answer is built in. You don't have to think about it very hard. Luke 6.46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? There's no good way to answer that question. Because it's clear that what it means to call him Lord, if he's your Lord, you do what he says. Okay, but here's what I want us to see from 1 Peter 3.15. It's not doing what he says just because we're supposed to. It's not doing what he says, obeying the rules, just because we have to. Just so we don't get into trouble. Just so we can look good on the outside. So we can look like a Christian, a follower of Jesus. See, there, there is, we know this, there is such a thing as just an external conformity to the rules. External conformity. That's not what this is talking about. This is not talking about just doing what you got to do because you got to do it. It says, in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. In your hearts in the center of who you are, in that part of you where it really matters, where it's really important to you. The Bible has very strong things to say to people who just try to look godly on the outside, but inside they don't really care. They just don't care. Look at Matthew 15, 7. Jesus is talking to some very religious people, some very moral people, people who look very good on the outside, and he says, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. See, it wasn't real. They really didn't care about God. What they really cared about was was looking good on the outside, impressing people. They didn't really care about God. Their godliness was a veneer. It was just this external thing. Why wasn't it real? Because it wasn't a heart thing. God really wasn't the most important person in their heart. They didn't have an authentic relationship with God that caused people to kind of look at them and say, I mean, nobody was coming up to these guys and saying, man, can can I get in on what you've got? Because I see something there. You've got a hope, and and I want that. I mean, can you explain that to me? How, how, How do I get on it? Nobody was doing that. 
See, walking the walk means that in our hearts, we really do want, and it doesn't mean we're, we're, you know, we're all there. Obviously, we're not. Though we talked about the whole thing in spiritual growth. It's, you know, this is a process. It's a lifelong process, but it's in our hearts wanting Jesus to be Lord of our whole lives. Wanting. Why do we want that? Because we know who he is. And we want more of his love and more of his truth and more of his strength to permeate every part of our lives, our relationships, our work, all of our doing, our thinking, our feeling, everything. Walking the walk means realizing we're not wise enough to rule our own lives. But we realize Jesus is, and he'll do an awesome job of it. We'll just get off the throne. And walking the walk means every time we we catch ourselves sneaking back onto the throne, or somebody points it out, we go, oh, whoops. We say, that's not good. It's not good when I'm on the throne of my own life. And so we cry out to him, Jesus, be Lord of my heart. Be Lord of my whole life. For a minute, think about, think about one of your, your absolute favorite people. Okay, maybe there's one person in particular, man. This is your just favorite person. And, and imagine you have not seen them for a really long time. But you know that very soon you're going to see this person. Okay, imagine that sense of anticipation. Imagine that expectation of, of the good stuff that's coming because you're going you're gonna to get to see that person who's so important to you. Okay, that is just a, a picture of the kind of hope we can all have when Jesus is the most important person in our lives. And it says, as it says in 1 Peter 1.13, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Because he's coming, he's Lord, he's in control, and he's coming, and he's going to give all of this grace. He's going to right every wrong. He's going to fix everything that's wrong with us. 